Where's Ralph? He's over there, hogging the hell of a good dip for his big game ritual. Oh, boy. Hey, Ralph, can we get some of that, too? Yeah, yeah, soon. Almost done. First the carrot, two taps and dip. Then the celery. Ah, yes, now the chips. All dipped in creamy, hell of a good dip. Mmm, delicious. Yes, it worked! Get the dip made with real milk and cream that wins every time. Not just good, hell of a good. Did you know that you could invest in crypto through your retirement account? That's right. iTrust Capital allows you to invest in over two dozen of the most popular cryptocurrencies. And unlike the stock market, you can buy and sell 24 hours a day. With iTrust Capital, you also get the tax benefits of a retirement account while investing in crypto. Set up an account at itrustcapital.com today, and you'll even get a $100 Bitcoin funding reward. Go to itrustcapital.com. Taxes and conditions may apply. Fees apply. Bitcoin funding rewards subject to terms and conditions. Cryptocurrencies are a speculative investment with risk of loss. iTrust Capital Inc. does not provide legal investment or tax advice. Consult with a qualified legal investment or tax professional. I want to ask you this morning, take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to be talking about uh, this morning and then next week we'll continue. Next week is a, a Christmas celebration. We're going to really just, you know, worship God. It's going to be a little bit more traditional and, uh, in a, yeah, so we're going to have some of the caroling, some hymns or whatever Christmas hymns. And we're going to look at something I believe that is really important. This week as I was praying about Christmas, you know, the thing about Christmas, the truth of the matter is the message, the story of Jesus coming into the world is obviously relevant to us um, 365 and a quarter days of the year, correct? It's not just something that we should be focusing on in December, but there's something I believe that we often um, overlook as Christians when we celebrate Christmas. And, and it's not that what we're doing is wrong, but I'm, what I'm saying is I think there's much more that God wants us to, to recognize about the significance and purpose of Jesus coming into the world. Remember the Lord said in his day to his people, the religious people um, of the people of his day, he said, you make the word of God of none effect by your tradition, correct? So tradition can actually cause us to miss out on what it is that God wants to do in our lives. And, you know, you think about that. He says, you make the word of God of no effect. You make the word of God powerless. Now, what did he mean? He meant in our lives, right? Because in our lives personally, there's so much that God wants to do. But tradition, now, look, there's some traditions that are biblical traditions. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about traditions of man that actually take the place of the Word of God. And sometimes those are traditions that are just erroneous, uh, but often, most of the time, what they are is they are uh, an incomplete revelation of what God has done for us. And so when we look at Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18, it becomes apparent here that of course, this is a story when, when the angel appeared to Mary and to Joseph and spoke to them about uh, what was happening. Remember the story that here's Mary, pregnant, and Joseph uh, had no relationship with her. So everyone is speculating this woman was an adulteress. She was unfaithful. She should have been stoned under the law. But God intervenes, and what ends up happening is an angel appears to Joseph and to Mary. And uh, the angel, particularly speaking to Joseph, just, you know, and, and just assures him that, hey, she's not been unfaithful. She's not done anything wrong. What's happened? Can you imagine this? She's pregnant, but there's no man involved. She's, she's, been, she's pregnant with the Son of God. Whoa. The Son of God. God, His Son is in Mary's womb, and she was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. So there's nothing natural. This is a very supernatural and divine experience. What would you think? Right? I mean, come on. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a moment, or his sandals, I should say, right? And the fact is, it would be a something just phenomenal. Right? I mean, it would jar us. Let's start reading at verse 18 from the New Living Translation. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. 
His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement off quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22. All this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet, Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means what? God is with us. Now, this is what I feel the Lord um, has highlighted to me to share with you this morning regarding this narrative, this amazing, wonderful story that we are so familiar with and we revisit uh, every year around this time. We look at the two names that were given, that were to be given to this child that was the son of God in the womb of Mary. The first name is in verse 21. His name shall be called Jesus, Yeshua. And the word Jesus or Yeshua means that God or Yahweh is salvation. God saves, Yahweh saves. And, of course, the, the meaning of the word save, salvation or save has to do with healing. It has to do with being made whole. It has to do with being rescued, being delivered. It's just a very comprehensive term that applies to every area of our life, that God came to heal us to deliver us, to rescue us, to make us whole. And the word in, in the Greek language is sozo, right? You will call his name Jesus for he will save or sozo his people, what? From their sins and the consequence of sin, the fruit of sin. In other words, that's why Jesus came. And that's so profound, that's so powerful that we can actually have that assurance. And and really many of us, when we talk about tradition that actually limits, you know, it says in Psalm 78, the children of Israel limited the Holy One of God. They limited him. They, they, you know, allowed God to move to a certain point in their lives, but then they stopped him, maybe unwittingly, perhaps out of ignorance, you know, their tradition. The Bible is clear that if we don't have enough understanding and revelation of God's ways, we're not going to experience the fullness of him. So that's why it's very important that we continue to grow not only in grace, but in knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, 2 Peter 3.18. So there's a place where we have to keep growing in revelation so that we understand who God is, what he's done, and what is our inheritance as his people. Amen? All right. Two people believe that. I'm so glad. Thank you for your overwhelming response this morning. Let's try that one more time. How many believe that God wants you to know the fullness of your inheritance in Christ? Can I hear? Thank you. Thank you. All right. I know you're getting warmed up, but it's okay. All right. So this morning, when we look at this, we see Jesus... The name Jesus, what it represents, it's powerful. It's amazing. But there's another aspect here. There's another name that is employed to describe Jesus. It's the word Emmanuel. Now, Jesus came to the world, the Son of God, God, the second person of the Trinity, however you want to describe him, but he became a man, correct? Right? He became a man. But yet where the Bible says that his name is Emmanuel, meaning that he's still God. He's still God. We, we say, how do, you, how do we explain this? You know, he's, some people say, well, was he 50% God and 50% man? No. He was 50% God. No. 50% man. No, not 75% God, 25% man. Flip that around any way you want. But 100%. 100% God, 100% man. Sorry, could you just turn that down a bit? Thank you. And at that point, he came and even though he became a man, Philippians tells us so clearly, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. 
He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Wow. What an amazing thing. But yet, even though he became a man, he set aside his divine power and his divine privileges, yet he's still God, right? It's, it's hard for us to maybe wrap our minds around this completely. He's Emmanuel, God, but yet he's man. But yet, even though his person and nature and deity, he's still God. He set aside those divine privileges. He set aside that power. You remember when Jesus came into the, the earth and, I'm sorry, when he, he started his, his ministry, uh, he went, the first thing that he did was he went to the river Jordan and he was baptized by John to fulfill righteousness. And while he was coming up out of those waters, the Holy Spirit descended upon him as a dove. And depending on what account in the Gospels you read, one account says that the Spirit of God alighted on him or remained on him from that point. So the Holy Spirit remained on Jesus. It wasn't a visitation, it was habitation. And what ends up happening at that point is Jesus is now filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, clearly, God does not need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. God is the Holy Spirit. But Jesus, as a man, needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus literally allows himself to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, the Bible says, was anointed with the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 4, 18 and 19, when he starts his ministry after he had been in the wilderness, he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. Look at that. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? Because he's anointed me. So when we talk about the anointing, what we're saying is, the proof, the evidence that a person is anointed is the Spirit of God upon their lives. But the purpose for the anointing is to do something. It's not just so that we will personally benefit. That's part of it. But there's a purpose that God anoints us for that goes beyond our own personal needs. That purpose is to minister to the needs of other people. Look at this. He's anointed me to what? Preach the gospel to the poor. Sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Proclaim liberty to the captives. Recover of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That is the purpose of the anointing. So Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit when he was on the earth for over those three years. Acts 10.38 says he went around doing good and healing everyone who was oppressed of the devil. Why? Because God had anointed him with what? The Holy Spirit and power. That's the reason why he was able to minister to people so successfully, so effectively. There's not a single incident highlighted in, in the Gospels where Jesus prayed for someone or he ministered to them and it had no impact on their lives. Everyone Jesus ministered to, all who were oppressed by the devil were healed by Jesus. Amazing. Amazing. Every person who was sick, every person who was tormented, every person who, who needed forgiveness, every person that, that had issues and in, in battles in their mind and, and in their emotions and, and all the different areas of, of our life, Jesus was able to set them free and to make them into new people. And this is because of the ministry of both of Yeshua and Emmanuel. Jesus came as the Redeemer. He came as the one who would save, who would heal, who would deliver, who would make free. He didn't come just to forgive us of our sins. That is amazing. That's important. But not only the, the actual presence of sin in our life did he resolve, did he forgive, but he also came to break the power and the consequences of that sin in our lives. So God with him, God upon him, the Spirit of God upon him, this is the anointing. This is what 
he operated in when he was on the earth. So he went around doing good. What? Healing. That's Yeshua. Right? Healing. Delivering. Saving. Forgiving. Rescuing. But how and why did he do it? Because the anointing, Emmanuel, God was with him. Many of us as Christians, we look at the message of Jesus coming to the world, the incarnation, being born of the Virgin Mary, ultimately living that blameless life, that sinless life, and then beginning his ministry and, and, and doing all the amazing things that he did. And we don't identify that what Jesus actually did is not something that is uh, unattainable or something that is not uh, to be replicated. You know, like we can look at that in amazement and say, well, of course Jesus set everyone free and healed everyone who was oppressed of the devil. Jesus is God, right? But the truth is everything the Lord did when he was on the earth, he did not as God in the flesh, but as a man in the spirit. He did as a man who walked in the Spirit, who lived in the Spirit, who was baptized with the Holy Spirit. You know, there's no such thing as a miserable Christian, okay? Now, listen to me. You say, well, I know a lot of Christians that aren't happy. Okay, let me, let me break this down. Do, do you have days where you feel miserable? Yes, I do too. But here's the point I'm trying to make. The word Christian, right? What's Jesus' name? Jesus Christ. And what does Christ mean? In what? Christos, right? Jesus is what? Christ means the anointed one. That's what Christ means. The anointed one. And so because of the anointing, the presence of God, the power of God, when we live in that place and operate in that place of the anointing, it drives out all of that stuff. But what we fail to do as Christians is to access that anointing. We walk in the flesh. We live according to our carnal mindsets rather than live and operate in the anointing because we're called Christians, which means we are little anointed ones. We're called to be anointed ones as well. We're called to operate in the anointing as well. Wow. That's such a, a, an incredible thing. Let's look at. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5 for a moment. Paul is characterizing the last days, and he talks about how people will be selfish and, and evil and so on. But then the very last thing he states is these people, they're going to act religious, but they're going to reject the power that could make them godly. And what does he say? Stay away from churches like that. I mean, people like that. Um, he, he says, look, if... They act religious, they talk religious, but there's no power. He's saying something's wrong. Something's not right. Why? Because the kingdom of God is not in word, but it's in power. Jesus is the anointed one, and the anointing is life. And the anointing is power, and the anointing is joy. As we go through this teaching, because I'm not going to be able to finish it today, you'll see that we can actually, and this is our problem, is we shut off the anointing. We've got this, this valve, so to speak, that we can open to allow the anointing to flow into our lives. And uh, oftentimes we shut that off unwittingly. But God wants us to understand how to open that up, right? So that not only it's not just a trickle, but it is a flow. And an overwhelming, you know, flow from the throne of God of the anointing. But we, as Christians, can I say this to you? You are just as anointed as Jesus was. Well, now look, somebody says, well, yeah, but I haven't done the miracles Jesus did. Clearly, right. I, I, I can put my hand up for that. But do you understand that the same measure of the Holy Spirit has been given to every one of us. Now, how we steward that, how we learn to access that, determines our effectiveness. But the Bible says that God does not give the Spirit with limit. He gives the Spirit without limit. There's a sense in which God's Spirit is given to us 
so that we can do anything and everything that God is wanting us to do. So you ever hear somebody preach and you just go, wow, there's just so anointed. Well, I don't know what it is. I think just God has a particular and unusual call upon their lives. They're just extraordinary. They're just different. They're just special. The truth is that's not biblical. I recognize there are different levels. There are different gifts. But the fact is every single one of us who is a Christian and have received the fullness of the Holy Spirit is anointed. And we're anointed to do the things that Jesus did. We're anointed to walk in authority. We're anointed to live a holy life. We're anointed to access heaven. We're anointed to experience righteousness, peace, and joy. Everything. Because the anointing means this. The anointing is simply this. It means to smear or rub with oil. To smear or to rub with oil. We know in the Old Testament it would speak of the religious act of consecrating someone to a sacred office a prophet, a priest, a king, consecrating them to a sacred office. But not only consecrating them, if we just leave it there, then we miss the whole point. Because when David was anointed, for example, we see that from that point on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. In the Old Testament, it's not just the, the Spirit of the Lord coming upon us at different times for specific purposes. But in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is in us, and yet he's upon us. And so we recognize that what God is saying is that there is not only, the anointing is not only just setting you apart uh, uh, for a specific purpose or a sacred office, but the anointing is also furnishing us with the powers necessary for that administration. If you've been called, God wants you to recognize that he provides you with what you need. And we've all been called. We're all anointed. So that means God has not only appointed you to do something, but he's anointed you to do it with the power, the gifts, the authority that you need to do it effectively. Wow. So good. I love the fact that in the New Testament, we're all prophets, priests, and kings. Did you know that, right? We're all prophets, priests, and kings. We're all called to be a prophetic people in the New Testament. I'm not saying there there is not the office of a prophet. I, I recognize that in Ephesians 4, verse 12. But look at this. It says in the book of Acts chapter 2, 17 and 18, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh or all people. Now, I think all flesh or all people means everyone. Is that true? Every person who believes in the name of Jesus, who embraces the gospel, has the privilege of experiencing the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And then he says this, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour up my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. That pretty much covers the whole gamut. That includes everyone, young, old, male, female. Every one of us has the potential to hear the voice of God and to speak forth his word. We can prophesy. We don't need to, we don't need to, to take necessarily a course in it. There are things we can do to sharpen our spiritual uh, hearing. I recognize that. But the bottom line is God wants you to hear his voice. And God wants you to be able to understand what he's saying. He has a plan. He has, he has a privilege. He wants to guide you. He wants to lead you. And he wants to also use you to minister to other people as well. So the anointing that comes upon you is it a prophetic anointing, first of all. Secondly, we talked about kings and priests in the book of Revelation 1 5 it's also in Revelation 5 verse 10 it says to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood he washed us in his own blood what and he made us kings and priests to his God and father wow who's he talking to there every believer in the new covenant you've been made I've been a king a priest Romans 5.17 says that if you have received the gift of salvation and the abundance of grace, it's so that you can rule in this life. You can exercise dominion in this life. 
You can live as what? God's son, God's daughter, your royal property. You belong to him. You're children of the king. You can live in that place where you exercise authority as a king. You decree it. You speak it. What is on on heaven will be on earth. And you exercise authority. You don't just sit back passively, but you use your authority over sin, over sickness, over the work of, of the devil in your life and over things that are trying to stop you and hinder you and limit you from experiencing everything that God has. And it's so we have been called to be kings in that sense. And then lastly, priests. What does a priest do? Prophets speak to the people from God. Priests speak to God for the people. And so a priest in that sense is someone who represents God to the people, who intercedes, who mediates for the people. And we are all called to that priestly responsibility to those who don't know the Lord, to those who don't understand this gospel, to step in that place and to represent Jesus, so to speak, to present him for who he is and and to not only stand there in, in that place of, of mediation, but also in that place of representation and that place of intercession where we actually pray to God on behalf of these people. And, and there are times even when people that don't know the Lord and they don't understand his ways, the only way they end up encountering God and being saved is because someone stood in the gap. Someone decided that they would pray and take on that priestly responsibility. And as a result, God intervenes in their life and changes the circumstance. So come on this morning, look at your neighbor and say, you're a prophet, a priest, and a king. If you say, I don't, I don't know if I'm a prophet, well, you're prophetic, counts on. Don't say you're pathetic, you're prophetic, okay? So this morning, you're prophetic. This morning, you have royal blood in you. This morning, you have authority and power. You've been to exercise dominion, and you also have a responsibility, what a privilege and responsibility to intercede, to represent God to man. Wow, what an amazing thing. So we're all anointed. Wow, what an amazing thing. At Christmas time, guys, we're anointed. Because Jesus is Jesus is Savior, but he's also Emmanuel. And because Jesus is in us, the Bible says it's Christ in the heavens that is the hope of glory, right? Is that what the Bible says? No, thank you. Thank you for knowing the word. Christ in you is the hope of glory, not Christ in the heavens, not Christ in the priest, not Christ in the... Pro- well, I guess if we're all priests, then Christ in us... He is the hope of glory. So Christ in us. He's the hope of glory. Jesus is in me. He's in you. Because why? We have been and we are anointed. I love that truth. Let's look at this passage of Scripture for a moment in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. Through 22. 2 Corinthians 1, 20 through 22. In the New Testament, we are informed that all believers who receive the, receive the fullness of the Spirit are anointed. Okay. So, you're anointed. Come on, just say it. I'm anointed. All right. Okay. Look at verse 21. Now, he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is what? Okay. God. Sorry. Verse 21. God has anointed us, correct? Okay. Now look at it. He who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God. All right. So we are anointed. Now I want to look at two purposes for the anointing. And really there, there's an overlap here. They're quite uh, uh, cinema, similar. The first purpose is to establish. It's really profound. Once you get a hold of this, to establish. God, who enables us, the word that is translated establish in the King James is rendered stand firm here. God enables us to stand firm. How does he do it? By the anointing. And what does that mean? It means this, to make firm, to make sure, to establish, to confirm. So this is what it means. To ensure the promise is fulfilled. Whoa. To ensure that the promise is fulfilled. 
So God, in other words, makes good on his word by the anointing. God says the anointing, and you'll see in verse 22, the anointing is the one translation the King James says, the earnest, or the, or it means the deposit, or the down payment. One translation, actually the Amplified says that it is the security deposit. It's the security deposit. God has given to us a security deposit. And what is that security deposit? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the anointing. When the Holy Spirit, the anointing in you, it establishes you so that you are able to experience the fullness of every promise of God. Secondly, it is a security deposit. And once you put down the security deposit, guess what? You have access, right? You know that, yeah, I know that now this is mine. It's a title deed, so to speak. It belongs to you. And so God is saying that the Holy Spirit, the anointing in you that God has given to every believer will establish you in the fullness of every promise that is written in the word of God so that it comes to pass in your life, so that it's fulfilled for you in this life. It's the security deposit of all that he has for you. Not only just in eternity when you die, but now. Amazing. So good. So it's that anointing that is in you and in me that causes us to walk in. I love the fact that the anointing is the means by which God makes good on his promise. Think about this. God is not like someone who would dangle a carrot in front of us, right? A lot of people, that's the way they perceive God. I read the Bible and I'll see all of these promises, right? I hear someone preach on healing, on deliverance or whatever, but for some reason I'm not experiencing it in my life. In other words, information, I've got the information, I've got the promises, I have a revelation of what God says about a particular subject, but there's no manifestation of it in my life. Revelation without manifestation equals frustration. But God says it's by the anointing that the revelation moves to a place of demonstration so that you experience consummation the fullness of every promise that he has for your life. So as we learn to access and live in the anointing, then at that point we experience everything that God has made available to us. So revelation without manifestation is frustration, but revelation with manifestation. Hi, I'm Flo from Progressive. Being a baseball fanatic like me can be stressful. It's not all sports points and touchdowns. So Progressive is going to help you take your mind off your team for a moment. Instead of thinking about how they missed that goal point score, think about the Name Your Price tool from Progressive letting you choose coverage options based on your budget. Unlike your team that missed the end zone net area. Well, anyway, hope this distraction about Progressive's Name Your Price tool was helpful. It sure kept me from thinking about all those penalty balls. Yay, sports! Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You coming to bed, hon? Yep, honey, I'll be right there. Just gotta turn out the light. Ow! Ow! Some things never change. Like your kids always leaving tiny toys on the floor for you to step on. And Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Sweetie, I think I left the downstairs light on. P please don't make me go. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. The station is consummation. The anointing enables. Not in a negative way we talk about today in enabling it. It, it empowers people. The anointing empowers us, guys. Let's look at, I've got two slides here. I just want to show you just 13 specific areas in which the anointing empowers us. First of all, it powers us to, gives us power to witness. Secondly, to worship God, to truly worship him, grants us spiritual gifts. Oh, this is the wrong one. You got the wrong slide. Thank you. Power to witness. God's abiding presence. Divine guidance. Overflowing joy. Power over Satan, a life of blessing to others. Now let's seal off for a moment, stop and pause. Let's reflect upon this. 
Wow, what an amazing truth. What amazing truths. God says, I'm giving you because my spirit is upon you. When you receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit, my, my power is upon you to enable you to witness. My presence is with you. I'll guide you. I'll lead you. I'll give you overflowing joy. I've given you power over Satan. And I'll cause you to have a life of blessing so that out of your innermost being will flow these, river, these rivers of living water. Wow. Amazing. Let's continue. God says, I'll give you power over temptation. I'll give you power over temptation. I'll enable you to be a true worshiper. I'll give you spiritual gifts. I'll give you spiritual fruit. I'll give you physical strength. I'll heal you. I'll, I'll strengthen you in that place of prayer so you can pray as you ought to pray and, and, and how you should pray. And, and I'll renew your spiritual man. What an amazing God we serve. That through the Holy Spirit, we not only have the promise, but we have the fulfillment of the promises. It's available to us. And how do we access all of these things? There's an anointing that God has made available to us. There's an anointing that is in us. But the anointing, the secret of experiencing all of God's promises, the anointing that establishes us, that brings the fulfillment, that causes us to see God make good on his promises in our life, so to speak, that is a result of us learning how to steward and walk in the anointing. You know, we did a series not too long ago when we talked about fire quenchers, things that quench the Holy Spirit, right? We can grieve the Spirit. Right? We saw there's, so many, there's different ways that we grieve the Holy Spirit. It's amazing. And, you know, the Bible says that we can put out the Spirit's fire in First Thessalonians. We can. Wow. Now, obviously, not that we can put the, the, the Holy Spirit up, but his effectiveness in our life. But the truth is, God wants us to recognize that there is a place that he's calling us to, that it's a place where we not only know him as Yeshua, but we know him as Emmanuel. God is Emmanuel, right? But Christ in us, Christ with us, is Emmanuel. He wants to be not only Yeshua to us and through us, but Emmanuel, so that his presence, the very person of God, is so with us, so evident among us, that people cannot help but to acknowledge there's something different. What distinguishes us and from, and what should distinguish us from any other religion or, or any other even quote unquote Christian, you know, uh, teaching isn't necessarily our theology, that our theology is any different, but what it should be, and we need to have sound theology, but what it should be is the presence. The presence of God, the anointing of God. Right. The, the, you know, Jesus said, listen to the Pharisees, right? Listen to them, but don't do as they do. And, they, you know, listen to them, but don't do as they do. Right. The Pharisees, they, they, they understand things. They, they've, in fact, they, they memorized a lot of the Torah, but don't listen to them in the sense of, of, uh, replicating how they live. Listen to what they say, but don't live as they live. Don't do as they do. So we have to be different than just other religious people. Guys, what is this? Christians that are bored? Christians that have no joy? Christians that are tormented? That's an oxymoron. There's nowhere in the scripture where we are to live like that. Jesus said, I've overcome so that you might overcome. I've overcome so that you can prevail. You can be set free from all of this. But you have to learn to access the anointing. You have to learn to access the anointing. The devil hates the anointing. Because it's the only thing that can stop him. Do you know how many people, and I've seen this in recent years, come to church Week after week, they've been in church for years, and they're bound up. They're, they're messed up. They're addicted. They're tormented. 
There's things going on in their minds. And they come to church, but they're not finding deliverance or healing. Praise and worship might be great. There might be a motivational talk. But there's no power. There's no anointing to break the chain. Now, I realize you can come to a place where the anointing is present and choose not to receive that ministry. But I will see, when we look at the life of Jesus, one of the very first things that happened after he was baptized, he, he went into a synagogue, Mark chapter 1. And as he walked into that synagogue and his, as he began to preach and as he began to teach, and the anointing was so strong upon him that a man who was there, the spirits, the unclean spirits that were in him began to manifest and they began to cry out, Jesus, have you come to torment us? We know who you are. The anointing exposes. The anointing exposes. I, I, I've seen it time after time after time. The anointing is like a light. The lights go on. Things are, are exposed in our own hearts and our own lives. But what are we going to do about it? Some people get offended. They, they turn away from God. Some people leave churches. Some people blame others. They don't take responsibility for those things in their lives that need to change. No one's perfect. But only you can take responsibility for your issues. And we come to that place where God says, my anointing will break the yoke. My anointing will set the captive free. My anointing will heal, deliver, make you whole. That's the anointing of the Holy Spirit that's going to make all the difference. And Satan hates the anointing. And Satan's mission is to bring us as a people of God to move us from a place of living and walking in the anointing into a place of being ordinary. He wants you to be ordinary, but not extraordinary. He doesn't mind you being good, but he doesn't want you to be in the glory. He, he doesn't necessarily care if you're bad enough, but he'll settle just to make you busy. Because the reality is when you shift into a place of natural living and you just begin to do everything in your own strength and your own power and not in the anointing of God, then Satan is quite happy because he has effectively fulfilled his objective in causing us to be a people that are not living in the supernatural power of God. In other words, we may not be bad, but we're not doing any good. In other words, we're impotent. We have no power. We're not able to deliver. We're not able to set people free. We're not able to overcome even our own issues in our life because we're not accessing the anointing and we just continue to live in defeat and we just continue to see people's lives not change as they come to church week after week after week. People that need delivered, people that need healed because Jesus died for them and he doesn't want them to be in that mess. And we have no power. We have no anointing. Because why? Remember the story of the disciples. Jesus, while you were up on the mountain praying with Peter, James, John, this father brought a son to us. He's sick. He's tormented. Spirits operating in his life, unclean spirits. And we tried to help him. We tried to deliver him, but we're not able to do it. Jesus did not say, why are you bothering me? The same anointing, the same level of power and authority that's in me is in you. What did he do? He said, no, guys, there's a key that you're missing. Depending on which account you read, which one of the synoptic gospels you, you uh, envision that narrative, you will see that he said it's because 
of a lack of faith or it's because of a lack of prayer or even fasting. In other words, the anointing is something that we have positionally, like in the sense of theologically, we've all been anointed, but we have to learn how to grow in that anointing. We have to learn how to access that. You know, every one of us, you know, if can you imagine if, if someone came to church and said, I'm really generous today, and I'm going to give everybody in this church $100,000. Right? Would that be good? Okay. Now, the fact is, every one of us is given $100,000. So in a sense, we're all on the same level. Right? But what we do with our money determines our effectiveness. Right? What we do with that will determine our effectiveness. I, I reckon that there would be different levels of, of effectiveness, don't you? Okay? I, I, I believe that there would be people that would uh, possibly spend it all quickly. Not in this test. And there'd be others who might invest in it and make more. Right? So... What happens is God says we have to learn to steward the anointing. We have to learn to steward the anointing. And the devil absolutely hates men and women who've learned to steward the anointing. He wants to distract you and me so that we pursue that which is of lesser or no significance than a life fully yielded to the Spirit. If... He cannot bring us to a place where he uses a strategy that results in a destruction. He will settle for a plan that culminates in our reduction. That we're not effective. That we're not anointed. That we're not seeing miracles. That we're not doing the things that Jesus did. We're not stewarding that anointing. I love the story In the book of Acts chapter 6, the early church is in the midst of a white-hot revival in Jerusalem. You know, God is moving. Multitudes are being added to the church. If you read the preceding chapter, chapter 5, the whole Ananias and Sapphira thing just happened. Ooh. But it says great signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. Multitudes were being added to the church. The church was exploding It was miraculous. And right in the midst of that, what ends up happening is these widows from the diaspora, these these, uh, Grecian or Greek Jewish widows who are now coming back to Jerusalem. And when they're coming back, what's happening is is the apostles are, are seeing that, you know, there's such a need to take care of them that they end up, the apostles get sidetracked and they get diverted from their true mission and calling and they begin to serve tables. And what ends up taking place is the apostles realize that the enemy is really... Uh, you know, bringing them to a place where, in a sense, he's downgraded their calling from apostle to administrators. We read in, in the book of Acts about the special anointing that were on the apostles. Acts 5, 12, Acts 19, 11, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 12. The signs, the wonders, the anointing, the power that were to be evidenced on apostles, and yet, so what does the enemy do? He does not want to see such supernatural phenomena operating in the church. He doesn't want to see people healed. He doesn't want to see people delivered. He wants to shut down revival. He wants to stop the move of God. And so what does he try to do? Distract us. So we cannot, what? The apostle said it would not be right for us to neglect the place of prayer and the ministry of the word of God to serve tables. It's not right that we don't have time to pray. It's not right that we don't have time to study the Word and to minister the Word because we're so busy doing all this administrative stuff. It's not right. And so what ends up happening is they choose, the people select seven whom the apostles appoint really as a prototype of the deacons so that they can take care of that particular ministry. And then the apostles continue 
They devote themselves to that place of prayer and ministry. And at the end of the chapter, it specifically states, at the, at the end of that narrative, it specifically states that many came to the Lord, even, even many of the priests. Meaning, if priests are getting saved, you know it's a move of God. Come on now. So, so there's, there's something happening that's very powerful. Why? Because they were able to go back into that place in which they were called to give themselves to the ministry of the word and to prayer, to spend time doing that. And the others stepped up to do the responsibilities. Now, in a lesser sense, I know not one of is called to be an apostle, but in a lesser sense, he still uses the same strategy. He doesn't want you to pray. He'll distract you. He'll, he'll try to divert you. You know, sometimes it's just your own mind. It's the, it's the thought lies. You've got to learn to take every thought captive into the obedience of Christ, cast down every stronghold and every vain imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, as it says in the book of 2 Corinthians 10. But then there's other times where we just have to realize that the enemy is working. He's working. He's working. We need to set up some boundaries, guys, and we need to say, you know what? I just can't do that. I just can't do all these things. If your spiritual life is languishing, if your spiritual life is, is in a place where you're drying up, then there's something wrong and there's some things you got to cut off from your life in order that you can give yourself to prayer and the ministry of the Word of God. Because God has called us to revival. God has called us to see signs and wonders. So the twelve called the multitudes of the disciples together. They say it's not reasonable for us to leave the word of God and serve tables. Brothers, look among yourselves for seven men who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit. Even the eight needed to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Whom we will appoint over this duty. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. Wow. I don't want to have a good church. I don't want to have an above-average church. I want to have a church that's supernatural. I want to have a church where the glory of God is there. And there are people, can I just say this frankly? That when God sends an apostle to a city, and when God raises up apostolic people, there are many people that feel that the responsibility of the apostles to shoulder and to carry all of that anointing and that glory to release it. And even though we, we see God do miracles, signs, and wonders, God's called us to be a people of the Spirit, every one of us. God has called us to live in and walk in that anointing that he's, been, he's given to you. Grieving the Spirit will cause the anointing to decrease on your life. Prayerlessness will cause the anointing to decrease in your life. The anointing is there. That $100,000 is available. How will you access it? How will you use it? Will you just allow it to sit in the bank? Will you access it? Will you use it? There is an anointing. There is an anointing that is for you. There is an anointing that is for you. These signs shall follow them that believe. Them that access the anointing, those that know how to walk in the fullness of the Spirit, the first thing you need to do is to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If you're born again, you've not been baptized with the Holy Spirit. You say, well, what does that mean? It means that you are full of the Spirit. Baptizo means to immerse. It means to saturate. The same Greek word is used when, when they took the bread and they dipped it in, in the juice on the last supper it's the word dip is the same word for baptize think about a piece of bread dipped in grape juice what happens it's soaked it's saturated with that element and when we're baptized with the spirit that's what happens to us we're soaked we're saturated we're so full that it just like seeps out of us that's what god has called us to a people and I'm trusting you, I'm preaching to myself this morning. A people in whom the Spirit of God seeps out of us. And a people, like when they would touch Jesus, guys, when they would touch him, virtue, the Greek word is dunamis, would flow out of his body. Dunamis would flow out of his body. You can say, well, this sounds like a fairy tale. This sounds like 
something fictitious, may I suggest you start reading the Bible again? May I suggest you read the book of Acts? May I suggest you read the Gospels? May I suggest that you look at the words of Jesus in John 14, 12, who said, the works that I do shall you do and even greater works. Read it in the Passion Translation, the miraculous signs that I do, you shall do also. The works he's referring to there are supernatural, miraculous works. You can heal the sick. You can cast, you can cast out demons. You can see the power of God. You can pray down heaven. You can, you can see breakthroughs in the lives of people all around you. Access the anointing. Jesus spent much time in the presence of God. He spent time in prayer. He spent time. He was obedient. He didn't grieve the spirit. He lived a holy life. Hebrews 1 9 says that Jesus absolutely hated sin and loved righteousness. And it says, therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness or joy more than your brothers. Why? Because he hated sin and loved righteousness. Spend time in worship. Shut down any thought that is not based on the truth of God's word. Deal with negative emotions. Deal with fear. Deal with things that would try to cancel off the truth of God's word in your life. And remember that God establishes you so that you will see the promises of God fulfilled so that you will experience God making good on his promise in your life. Hallelujah. Come on, let's give the Lord a clap offering. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a clap offering. Let's stand together this morning. Hallelujah. We're called to be a company of Emmanuelites. You want to put it that way? Let me, let me read this scripture in closing. I want to read this scripture in closing. In 1 Corinthians 14, 24 and 25. 1 Corinthians 14, 24 and 25. Paul is talking about the church coming together and how um, the gifts were operating in the church in Corinth. And he begins to talk about the gift of prophecy. And he's saying, you know what, guys? The gift of prophecy needs to be operating in your midst. And he said, look, when the authentic prophetic is flowing, if all prophesied, an unbeliever, an uninformed person comes in, he's convinced by all, he's convicted by all. Look at the next verse. And what happens? The secrets of his heart are revealed, and so he falls down on his face. Oh, so good. And he worships God and reports. He says, God is truly among you. God is truly among you. That's Emmanuel. My prayer for you this Christmas, if you are walking merely in the revelation of Jesus, the Savior, even Jesus the healer. I, my prayer is that you would know him also as Emmanuel. The God who is with you. The God who is in you. The anointing that is on your life. As we looked at those characteristics, right? The spirit, the anointing to set you free. To give you strength, to give you joy. To help you pray, to heal to change your life. Look, you can come to church week after week and never experience what I'm talking about this morning because you have to make a choice. I'm not just going to listen. The Bible says if you just listen to the sermon but you don't do anything, he said you deceive yourself. You're like a person that looks in the mirror and then you walk away and you forget what you look like. You've got to be a doer, a doer, revelation, no manifestation, frustration. That's what happens. Why is it I feel discouraged? Why is it I can't get the breakthrough? Why is it this is happening in my life? There's revelation. Now begin to take that revelation. Begin to access that revelation. Begin to pray that revelation. Begin to confess that truth of God's word. Begin to pray in the spirit. Ask God to fill you afresh with his anointing this morning. Ask God to fill you afresh with the anointing this morning. 
the Holy Spirit is here to minister to you. And I want you, this is my heart for you, for me, that in this time, in this season, so easy to get busy, isn't it? And neglect the Lord. Let's not do that. And if we've already been just so busy, like I said, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And if, you, and if you're already at that point where you've been distracted and you've not been giving yourself to the things that the Lord wants you to really do to your personal relationship, you think, well, I've got so many people that I need to help and I have so many responsibilities. Can I give you this illustration? It really helped me. Have you ever been on an airplane and, you know, you're about to take off and the flight attendant says, in the unlikely event that there is a pressure, uh, you know, pressure drops in the cabin, an oxygen mask will drop down from above. Correct? Make sure, first of all, that you secure the, the oxygen mask to yourself before you try to help someone else. And that's the way it is in the kingdom. We got so many of us trying to help other people, but we don't have enough oxygen. We're not in that place where we're able to do what God has called us to do effectively because we're not breathing in the spirit. We don't have the pneuma of God, the ruach of God. We don't have it in our lives. We're not bringing it in and we're trying to help people. We're doing it in our own strength, but we need to breathe in the spirit of God. We need the life and the oxygen of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And as we take the time to renew ourselves, to build ourselves, then we minister out of that overflow. We minister out of the fullness. Go deeper. You'll say, well, I prayed. Nothing's happened. Pray more. Pray harder. Pray deeper. Pray longer. I've had to do it. There's times when I prayed. There's times when I fasted. And I saw nothing happen. And God said to me, why did you give up so easily? I said, Lord, I prayed and fasted for seven days. I didn't eat anything. And God said, why did you give up so easily? And I remember a time in particular where that happened. And I went back and I prayed and I fasted and I was really crying out to God. I wasn't, you know, just fasting and and doing all these things in the sense. And I know not everyone has the time, but there are times when you really are in a crisis. We have to make time. Where you just have to make time for God. Where you have to do something exceptional. Where you you have to even shut down. Because you need a breakthrough. You need something. And as I continued to pray one time. And I went beyond that. And I went deeper with God. It wasn't just the time. Because you can pray and it can become a religious duty. And you're not connecting with the heart of God. In your time of prayer and fasting. But God says. That in that place where you really connect with me, where you're really transparent with me, where you're really hungry for me, where you're pouring out your heart and you're being real with me, he said, you won't be disappointed. I'll answer you. I'll deliver you. Then I remember doing that and praying and then seeing the answer. Seeing the answer. Seeing some people close to me healed. When there was very very serious health issues. I don't know if I ever told you guys this, but Lynn and I, the very first church we pastored as senior pastors, we were very young. I think we were 23 years of age. Everybody in the church was older than us, right? Pretty much. They were 27, 28. And we're pastoring this church with several hundred people. And we're having a move of God. Things are happening. Miracles are taking place. We had two Mormon missionaries got knocked out on the power of the Holy Spirit. We had a church full of uh, of uh, not not Mormons. Um, I think it was Jehovah's Witnesses. Ended up, they all got saved. They came to our meetings because someone in their family, and they all got saved. They had to shut down the church. It's crazy. That's what was happening. And in the midst of this. One day we're driving down the, the road and I look over and there's Lynn, full grandma seizure, bouncing in a big seizure. You know, it was terrible. What in the world is this? So we rush to the hospital. I take her into the hospital, you know, and the emergency room and they, they look at her and, and then they keep her in the hospital and they say, okay, she's got 
really severe epilepsy. And uh, she's, she's not going to be able to drive. She will never be able to have a driver's license. She's always going to be on medication. I just got angry. I said, no way. No way, devil. No way. And I began to fast and I began to pray and I began to cry out to God. I want to tell you guys, that was in 1988. Lynn was on medication for maybe a couple of months. And one day she said, I just, I just feel something's changed. Something's happened in my life. I don't want to take this medication anymore. And she stopped taking the medication. That was in 1988. She's never had a single seizure. There's never been a symptom. There's never been anything at all. As we laid hands and we prayed and we took authority over that thing, she got her driver's license. I mean, they've run tests. There's nothing. Come on. Sometimes we got to contend. Sometimes we got to just say, God, that's, you're a God of breakthrough. You're a God of miracles. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's pray together this morning. Let's worship the Lord. Come on. Drive less, save more. Ride Coda with the Transit app. Download today for a 450 credit. There's a new way to pay at Coda. Excited for a road trip? Start it off right with auto coverage from American Family Insurance. J.D. Power ranked us number one in customer satisfaction with the auto insurance shopping experience among mid-size insurers. Get a quote at AmFam.com. American Family Insurance. For J.D. Power 2021 award information, visit JDPower.com awards. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.